After raising over $200 million for qualified opportunity zone investment, how is one OZ fund creating impact with essential housing? Find out next. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, the weekly show where we interview Opportunity Zones professionals and experts from fund managers to tax advisors, from real estate developers to venture capitalists. If it impacts Opportunity Zones or the Opportunity Funds industry, we cover it here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson. And joining me on the podcast today is Clark Spencer. Clark is Senior Vice President of Investments and Fund Manager for the Grubb Properties Qualified Opportunity Fund. He joins us today from his home office in Charlotte, North Carolina. Clark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jimmy. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you on, Clark. Uh, well, let's just dive right in. Tell us about your fund, the Grubb Properties Qualified Opportunity Fund. What types of properties does Grubb invest in? What's your investment thesis and what makes your fund different? Absolutely. So Grub Properties, uh, like a lot of other uh, opportunities and providers, started sort of getting into the OZ game in, in 2019. Uh, we've had a series of vintage year funds. Um, in the last two years, we've raised over $200 million for qualified opportunity zone investment um, and are going to be launching our 2021 vintage uh, of our fund uh, in the coming weeks. Um, we're really excited about opportunity zones. Uh, we invest in opportunity zones really to provide what we call essential housing. Um, and we do that through a product called Link Apartments. That's a nationally branded uh, apartment uh, multifamily product that, that we have created in-house and develop in-house, um, both in opportunity zones and in traditional market locations. Um, that that uh, essential housing target that we, that we use for our opportunity zone program and for Link Apartments uh, really focuses on uh, multifamily development uh, for people making between 60 and 140% of area median income, which we see as really a, a broadly underserved uh, market in the multifamily space and one that especially works well with opportunity zones because uh, we think that it can um, integrate well into the opportunity zone communities um, without you know, necessarily delivering you know, massive luxury product into, uh, into these opportunity zone areas. So it sounds a little bit like workforce housing, but I, th I think it's different. So can you explain how essential housing, as you call it, is different than workforce housing? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, essential housing, I think, especially coming out of the pandemic, is something that uh, really touches a lot of, a lot of people um, and, and rings a lot truer um, sort of in this world. You know, essential housing really is for those essential workers um, and especially young workers. Um, you know, it, it's it's. Again, you know, between 60 and 140 percent of AMI in most of our markets, that's between 35 and 80 thousand dollars a year of income. Um, so, who are those people? Those are teachers and nurses and police officers, firefighters, municipal workers, um, and, and also some you know young professionals, you know, college graduates who are you know coming out and, and maybe you know entry level accountant positions and or, or banking positions, things like that. Um, so, who, who fall into that range? Um, and, and really does target that sort of you know millennial early Gen Z uh, market, whereas traditional workforce housing, you know, you, you often think of as you know a lot of, of garden styles, just sort of three and four story product um, that is you know catered more towards families and and um, larger floor plans. Um, you know, this this product is is sort of your traditional um, you know five six seven story 
stick built uh, multifamily product that you see a lot of, uh, we're just able to get to that that uh, income target range uh, through a lot of interesting um, cost basis and recurring cost reduction techniques, as well as our design techniques um, that allow us to deliver a product that we think is currently uh, sort of, you know, under under supplied in the market. Good. And where are you investing in properties? Are you are you regionally focused or is it national? Sure. So Grub Properties um, is a uh, is in our 68th year in business. We were founded in North Carolina, um, and in North Carolina and, and the Southeast has traditionally been our home. Um, but we we have been expanding in opportunity zones uh, across our our uh, two existing funds. Um, we've invested in uh, properties here in Charlotte, North Carolina, in Chapel Hill, uh, North Carolina, um, as well as uh, the D.C. suburbs, and actually a, a, a property in. Uh, DC proper, um, as well as uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Los Angeles, Denver. Um, so you know we, we're really targeting what we what we look at as um, you know a, a few different types of markets, both both growth markets, but then also stable markets. Um, you know, sort of growth markets being places like Charlotte and, and places like that. Stable markets, uh, whether they're they're tier one A sort of you know your your sort of gateway markets like a DC or an, or an LA. Um, or you know markets that have you know central you know uh, government centers like or, or or universities or hospital systems like a Denver marketplaces like that, um, and and so you know we're we're certainly expanding and, and using opportunity zones to expand our market out of our traditional southeast footprint, uh, but we've been seeing a lot of success uh, in that in 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 our traditional market, but as well as our new market. Good Sh- uh, shifting gears a little bit now, the congressional intent of the opportunity zone initiative obviously, to anyone who's listened to this podcast before, is it's to provide impact to underserved communities and to help lift these communities out of poverty and to, to serve a, a really underserved segment of the population. What is Grub Properties doing to adhere to the intent of this program? Absolutely. I think that's a great question. And it's one that's, that's very close to my heart and, and one that, you know, uh, is very quite you know sort of broadly at grub properties what what we're trying to achieve. I think that that from a fundamental level the the link apartments product and targeting that sort of middle income undersupplied housing inherently has impact both uh, because it's providing um, providing an undersupplied an undersupplied market with housing that is needed, um, which I think ultimately can relieve pressure on naturally occurring affordable housing. Um, because a lot of people, you know, I think what we've seen is because this this sort of middle market isn't being served, people who fall into it often um, end up in what is naturally occurring affordable housing rather than sort of mandated affordable housing um, that that ends up pricing out people who should be in that naturally occurring affordable housing. Um, so I think it can relieve pressure there. But going beyond that, um, we actually wanted to do something in our funds sort of beyond our our traditional uh uh league apartments properties that that we think are that do have that type of sort of positive um you know economic growth uh story and and because of that what we actually do is we take 10 percent um or, or of our of the funds that we raise and we target them specifically towards what we call community develop our community development initiative or community development project um and that can be a variety of different things, and I'll give you an example. But it's really to um, 
even further fulfill the intention of the program. So in, within that 10%, we actually cap uh, our returns uh, to, to the investors on that 10% segment at a 10 IRR, um, which, is, which is actually sort of in the, the you know, our, our ballpark range of our expected return is a 10 to 12 IRR over the 10 year period. So it's not, it's, it's really a cap on outperformance, not on sort of standard performance. Um, and then we also don't charge an asset management fee uh, on that 10% of the capital. Um, as sort of our give back uh, and, you know, combining with our invest investors. Um, and then anything above that 10% IRR cap, we donate back to the communities that we're working with. Um, so in our 2019 fund, because we're sort of more advanced there, um, we actually have a project that we're undertaking there that, that we've, we use a lot of the things that we've learned about in our Link Apartments project, um, but, we, but it's not actually branded as Link Apartments. Um, it's going to be branded as, as Cycle Apartments, and it's located here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, it's actually sort of an innovative community here. It's the first multifamily development that the City Council of Charlotte has approved that has zero resident parking. Uh, you might have thought about that when I said cycle apartments. We, we're, we're pushing biking and transportation alternatives. Um, it's located right near Greenway. Um, and because we're not paying to build that parking, um, we're actually saving an incredible amount of cost because, you know, a, a parking space, um, especially in a structured deck, generally costs what twenty five thirty thousand dollars a space uh by not making that in that investment in the property uh we're able to actually afford uh able to deliver half of the units in this uh project as truly affordable housing units um which is increasing the affordable housing stock in the community that we're investing in um so that's the sort of an example of the type of project we're looking for within that segment um and and we'll continue to try to find things like that you know going forward in the program that's great. Now, I love hearing about uh, examples of fund managers that are doing things the right way and, and adhering to congressional intent of the initiative, uh, kind of stay away from the bad press that, that, we, that we read about with this program sometimes. Uh, I'd love to hear stories about uh, the ones that are doing it right. So keep up the good work there. I want to talk about now your fund structure. Uh, your fund is it's somewhat unique among Opportunity Zone funds in that it is structured as a REIT. And I, I think there's only a handful of funds that are doing what you're doing. Can you explain how you were able to do that? Uh, maybe you can go into some of the, uh, the geekier parts of how the fund is actually structured and, uh, and, and also describe the benefits that a REIT structure offers. Sure. And, and uh, you know, always happy to, to geek out on opportunity zones. I'm a, I'm a, a former attorney. So, um, getting down into the nitty gritty of how the laws work is, is you know, sort of one of my pastimes. But um, we, we decided to go with a REIT structure uh, for, for sort of one particular reason. I think a lot of, uh, or, or at least the, the few competitors that we have that are in the REIT structure really are pursuing it um, to, to put a, a significant amount of the onus of managing the tax situation on the investors. Just, and not in a bad way, but just essentially letting an investor you know, through quarterly revaluations and cash in and cash out, um, sort of choosing their own uh, timing of their opportunity zone uh, tax benefit, which is, is a perfectly good strategy. and It makes a lot of sense. We actually approach it for, for a different way. Um, we've been investing in opportunity zones in our Link Apartments brand, actually going back to 2012. Our first Link Apartments project um, that was delivered in 2012 is in a, an opportunity zone. So we wanted to make sure that we were able to operate sort of in a consistent way across our portfolio, opportunity zone or not. And what the, what the REIT structure allows you to do, actually, um, is it, it frees up 
um, some flexibility in the ter- in terms of selling property. A lot of a lot of press around opportunity zone uh, opportunity zone investing sort of conflates the ten year hold period for an investor with a ten year hold period on a property. Um, and that, I think that's primarily because most opportunity zone funds are structured as partnerships or LLCs, they're taxes partnerships. And so when you sell a property in that structure, it passes through. Um, and if it's before the 10 years, obviously an investor wouldn't get the benefit. Um, and so, but if you actually read the opportunity zone legislation, uh, the 10 year period is based on an investor's interest in the fund itself. And so what a REIT structure allows you to do um, is actually utilize uh, internal taxable sales in a way that a partnership fund can't do. So a partnership can execute a 1031, so can a REIT, you know, most anyone who's investing in real estate will understand that. But REITs actually can make taxable sales. Um, and they have two options when they do so. First is to pass through a capital gain dividend. That looks very similar to a partnership sale and actually is the ultimate mechanism. There's a special capital gain dividend after the 10 years uh, after the 10-year period that allows for the, the back-end liquidation with the tax benefit. But a REIT can actually also uh, pay tax internally rather than passing through a capital gain dividend that is taxed to the investors. And when it does that, it can retain the capital that uh, it receives from the sale and reinvest. And unlike a 1031, that actually that investment can be split. So as long as it's reinvested in opportunities on property under the QOZ program, it gives a lot more flexibility. It can be split over multiple projects, you know, a new project and an existing project, paying down debt, things like that. So it gives us a lot of flexibility. The other thing that we found, though, after we sort of made this decision, is a lot of our investors really like it. Because um, at least in, in our experience, and, and we are primarily raising capital from uh, the RIA networks and wealth managers and people and, and uh, individual investors like that, um, is that a lot of those investors in opportunity zones you know, don't necessarily have uh, a, di- a diversified real estate portfolio where they're used to getting, you know, a, a, a complicated K-1 with multiple state tax filings. Um, and so a REIT actually provides investors with a 1099 rather than those sort of more complicated tax uh, liabilities on the partnership end um, that, that for an investor who doesn't have the real estate experience, maybe they're coming out of, um, you know, their own small business that they've had a realization on or, um, you know, maybe their, you know, their their uh, investment advisor, you know, bought them some low basis Amazon stock back in 2005, and they're in their uh, having a great run in, and and they're diversifying. Um, it gives a lot more sort of a tax simplicity uh, experience for our investors. Um, there are certainly trade offs there. Obviously, you're not passing through depreciation and things like that. Um, but we we found that that can actually be really attractive, especially for the the investors that we're targeting in our fund. Got it. That makes sense. And so is it is essentially, is it just set up at the QOF level as a C-corp instead of as an S-corp or an LLC partnership? Is that basically what you've done there? Or is it more complicated than that? Well, it's, it's an LLC taxed as a, that, that elects to be a REIT. So it's an LLC with shares, essentially. Got it. It's, it's not a C-corp. Um, REITs don't need to be C-corps. They can't be LLCs. Uh, it actually also gives us uh, some interesting flexibility because um, an, a, a, a traditional, and this will get even more geeky, is, is um, you know a traditional read is often set up with an operating partnership. Um, that operating partnership um, can be a uh, can be a uh, or is our opportunity zone business that we're investing in. So th- through an opportunity zone business, 
you know, allowing us to access the 31 month working capital allowance and things like that gives us the time frame that we need. But also because it's an operating partnership, anything that we wholly own under that operating partnership um, is, you know, actually tested at the 70% level rather than at the 90% level for your for your sort of operative opportunities on test. So it actually gives some portfolio flexibility as well. Um, not 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 one that we've uh, utilized too much because we have you know at Grub Properties we have our traditional funds that are also in the market um, that are investing in non-opportunity zone locations. But uh, the structure is actually interesting because you could theoretically you know invest 30% of your capital in non-QOZ locations through the structure and retain your opportunity <laughs> retain your opportunity zone uh, uh, sort of status, which is which is interesting. Right. Yeah. That 70% asset test. Uh does allow for a lot more flexibility. You're right about that. Uh, we're in the the midst of a global pandemic, Clark, and it's it's roiled the markets, especially uh, last year, um, first and second quarter of last year, really roiled the markets. Uh, what's keeping your investors awake at night, or especially maybe thinking back to you know raising capital for the, your 2020 vintage fund? Um, what questions? have your investors been asking uh what what's been what's been the biggest challenge of of raising capital during uh during this time i mean i think especially in 2020 the just the general uncertainty um around investing broadly i think hurt hurt investing across the entire you know private asset market um and opportunity zones certainly weren't immune to that you know, I think we still had, you know, good success, especially for the conditions that we were um, operating in. As, as I said, across the two years, across the two funds, we've raised over $200 million. Um, so, you know, we're we're really excited about where we are broadly in the program. Um, you know, I think, you know, broadly, you know, in the real estate community, and it's something that Grub Properties, um, one of our techniques of getting to those that lower basis that I talked about, that, that we really use more in our traditional funds than our opportunity zone funds, is actually combining office and multifamily, um, you know, using uh, what what is you know, suburban or, or actually formerly suburban and now urbanizing office to get to, uh, you know, value-add office to get to uh, surface parking lots that we convert into multifamily sites. Um, the office part of that equation has, has become, you know, a, a, an interesting sell in the last, you know, 10 months. Um, but yeah, I think that there's, there's still certainly an opportunity there. Um, but, you know, that type of, that type of investing, I think is always is going to raise an eyebrow, uh, in, in our potential investors. And, um, so that's, that's one of the headwinds we've been, we've been sort of seeing, um, and, and you know, I think opportunity zones broadly, a lot of it is, uh, you know, a lot of it is, is ground up development. That's a lot of what we're doing in the link apartments. But in our 2019 fund, you know, we did uh, make some office, some value add office acquisitions that we're planning on, uh, that we're, you know, we still have in the portfolio and are and are executing on. Um, we didn't do that in the 2020 portfolio for some of those, you know, sort of COVID reasons. Um, and, but but I think that that's, you know, sort of what what our opportunity zone is going to look like because you know if if the if the idea is that we're transitioning areas but uh you know we we go into a recession um are those areas going to transition as fast as, as they otherwise would have i think for some of them they will um you know i think you know one of the things i always talk about with opportunity zones is you know no two opportunity zones really are you know the physical areas are really alike 
um, you know, sort of as mirror images of, of one another. And there's so much diversity in the zones themselves. I think it's something like seven or eight percent of the land area of the United States is located in a QOZ. Um, so, you know, you have everything from, you know, super rural uh, opportunity zones to, um, you know, very, very urban opportunity zones. And I think that, that you know, some some of the markets that, that were on the edge in 2019 may not have been as attractive in 2020, but um, yeah, I think that's that's sort of the general the general pushback. But I think also some of the volatility in the market in 2020 is going to create a lot of opportunity. Uh, I, I'm sure you hear that pun on this podcast uh, way too often, um, but create a lot of opportunity for 2021 because um, you know I think whether it's whether it's gains passing through from you know high net worth investors uh, investments in hedge funds or things like that or just you know their own trading on the market. You know, I think that there were some hedge funds that were over 100% return last year. Uh, so I think 2021 is actually going to be a really um, great year to capture uh, some of the some of the gains that were made in 2020 in the overall market. I, I do think that opportunity zones were aptly named. We do use the t- that term opportunity <laughs> to describe investment opportunities quite a bit on this podcast. Absolutely. So you, you've raised roughly $200 million in your OZ funds over the past couple of years. You mentioned earlier that you've had success raising from uh, retail high net worth investors and through the RIA channel. Um, but I want to I want to dive into that a little bit more. I want to ask you specifically where where do you raise most of your money from, and which capital channels are you having the most success in? How are you able to to raise that amount of money that you've been able to to do to raise so far? Absolutely, yeah. So we we have an internal uh, internal team that that raises our capital uh, at Grub Properties. Um, our uh, director of investments, James Holloman, uh, is our sort of opportunity zone lead. Um, and he has forged relationships with, you know, a- active investing relationships with upwards of, of 30 uh, different RIAs, but, you know, sort of ongoing relationships with, with you know, probably close to 100 RIAs um, where, that we've had discussions with. Uh, so it, it's been a lot of sort of on the ground, you know, Talking to people, explaining Grub Properties and what we do, um, and having uh, having us, you know, sort of be rolled out to their client bases. I think, you know, as I talked about you know, having experience in Opportunity Zones, being a vertically integrated, you know, real estate company um, that provides both the development services, the investment services, which is obviously what you know, sort of I do, and then all the way through to the property management has been a really good story for investors. Um, and, and so a, a significant amount of our uh, of our capital has come through those RIA channels. Uh, though we've also, you know, we've sourced sort of capital from from two other kind of consistent sources. One um, is is the Opportunity Zone directories, and and you know there there are a lot of directories out there um, that I think can be very beneficial for uh, funds um, just by literally just putting your name out there. There's there's not a lot of um, upfront work on uh, on the part of the fund. You know, you sort of list your parameters, what you're investing in and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and people, you, you know, investors use those. Uh, they, they also, you know, are good sources for, for projects, if that's what you're looking for as well. We get a lot of incoming on projects as well. And, and, then, and then secondly, um, something that, that is similar to the RIA, RIA channels, but we've also found su- some success in is, is some of the crowd due diligence sites uh, that are out there. Not, not necessarily the crowdfunding, like Fundrise and things like that, but, but uh, sort of closed communities, uh, online communities of crowd due diligence um, that have provided a, a significant amount of, of capital for us as well. Okay, sounds good, Clark. That makes sense. Um, I've got a two-part 
question for you about trends now or, or trends that you've found interesting or worth keeping an eye on, you think. Uh, one, um, what are some general real estate market trends that you've been noticing lately? And then two, second part of the question is, what about Opportunity Zone specifically? Any Opportunity Zone trends that you're keeping an eye on for 2021? Absolutely. That's that's a great question. I think broadly in real estate, you know, and, and I touched on this when we talked about the pandemic a little bit, um, you know, th- there's been a lot of fear of, of commercial, um, especially retail, um, but also office. Um, and, and I think that there's there's a lot of concern there that, that may be at least somewhat overblown. I've seen a number of articles uh, fairly recently. The one that comes to mind was a Wall Street Journal article about probably six weeks ago, um, you're talking about you know, are cities dead and, and is office dead? And, and the basic thesis was no. And I think that's what Grub Properties really believes. I think office is going to change. Um, you know, is, is, is the future of office a, a high-rise building that you have to, you know, usher thousands of people through elevators every single morning at lunch and then every evening? Uh, maybe not. Uh, but you know, I think that mid-rise office in, in, in especially in transit corridors that have good transit access uh, could be a huge beneficiary uh, of, of sort of um, a changing office environment because, you know, people are working from home and work from home is going to increase, but eventually people are going to go back to offices and those offices may look different, um, but businesses will still fundamentally need uh, some physical space. And I think the other sort of sort of countervailing trend there that that is or is countervailing to what we've seen in the market re, you know over the past 20 years is you know square footage for empo- per employee has been reducing for a long long time and i think that's actually part of what people were fearing so much um, in going to their offices during covid because you know if you're in a situation where you're using you know desk clumps rather than offices or or even you know divided cubicles Obviously, you're in much closer contact with more people. Um, so I think that that trend also may start reversing and, and square footage per employee may actually start going back up. Um, so you'll see a lot of um, I, I think you could see a lot of sort of counter pressure in the market that may end up uh, stabilizing the office market um, in, in the multifamily side. I think that, um, you know, the, the affordability issues and, and that those essential workers and essential housing that we're trying to pursue through rank apartments. Um, was already doing really well and was already a market that we were capturing, I think, incredibly well. But I think that that's just going to continue to be more and more important as people really look at um, sort of cost on on the multi you know individual you know individual tenants look at at what their cost is on a um, on their apartment, what they need, what they don't need in terms of amenities and space and things like that. Um, and then, and then I think retail could be really interesting because you know, uh, you know, there there's a lot of there's a lot of retail that, um, you know, doesn't you know you know may not look as attractive as it as it did, but I think there is some retail that looks very attractive. I think that you know you've seen you know the the resilience of grocery stores and especially groceries uh, that can get um, sort of into smaller footprints or um, into more urbanized space. I think there is a lot of opportunity there as well. On the opportunity zone side, you know, I think it's. Um, you know, I think the trends will generally continue um, that the way they have been. I think, you know, as we talked about earlier, those those select opportunity zones that are in, you know, sort of the the really good path of growth locations will continue to flourish. Uh, you're going to see multifamily development there, multifamily around uh, job centers. Um, you know, I think 
a good example of a project that we have like that is, a, is our project in the Denver area. It's actually in Aurora, Colorado, across from a place called Fitzsimmons Innovation Community, the massive hospital campus. Um, got three hospitals, a university medical center, office and lab space. Um, and I think the full build out of the campus is like 50,000 jobs. And that's the place you want to be uh, developing things like multifamily right now, those the sort of stable long-term job centers, whether that's uh, medical, um, uh, university job centers, or, or government-based job centers, I think are, are all really stable uh, targets uh, for us, as, as well as as, uh, as well as transit access, because I think that may be another trend um, is is the um, is, is decreasing car ownership because um, if, if you have good transit access um, and you can give up a, a car payment rather than uh, a, an apartment payment, I think that that's a trade-off that especially a lot of you know you know old, younger millennials and, and sort of the early part of Gen Z may start making. Yeah, that makes sense. I think uh, a lot of good trends there to keep an eye out on uh, for this year and beyond um for anyone listening right now clark who may have access to real estate deals uh i'm sure they'd love to get in front of you potentially uh, can you tell us a little bit about your deal pipeline what do you look for in a property when when you're going to acquire and, and how many properties are you looking at and and ultimately acquiring for development what what are, what are the size of the deals that that uh you're looking for typically I guess what would you tell what would you tell someone who's trying to shop you a uh, a deal basically? I, I, absolutely, that's a great question. Um, I, I think it, it somewhat depends on the market, um, but you know, as we talked about the markets um, that we're looking at earlier, you know, I, we, we are looking for those, you know, more more urban markets. Um, it, whether you know, and, and that can be a lot of different types of urban areas, whether it's a, a Charlotte or a Nashville, uh, all the way to you know, there's Los Angeles, uh, Washington D.C. Um, even potentially in the New York area, Denver, uh, you know, the Texas markets. Um, what we're generally looking for is is because we are vertically integrated um, and we do our we do have our Link Apartments brand and we do our own development. Um, primarily, we're going to be looking to be uh, to, to to acquire uh, property, whether that's you know, raw land or an assemblage of of existing properties that we would then replace with a Link Apartments. Um, that's really what we're looking for. You know, generally, you know, going to be wanting to, to, you know, find something that has either entitlements, um, you know, that are that are sort of already baked in from the municipal code, or uh, or could be fairly easily achieved in a in a sort of a pre-closing time frame. Um, generally, want to find somewhere that's that's 200 plus units, even 250 plus. Um, especially in in markets like a like a Charlotte or or some or um, you know, some of the southern markets. I think we'll, we would look at smaller deals in a in a bigger market uh, where you know sort of the the rent trade off um, you know makes the makes a smaller deal make more economic sense uh, just in our model. Um, and, and generally, like I said, looking to to be be in a GP or a co GP position, not looking to uh, provide LP capital to existing deals. Good, that makes sense. Uh, well. Clark, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. This has been great, full of insight. Uh, it was great to learn more about the Grub Properties Fund. Uh, before we go, though, can you tell our listeners where they can go to learn more about you and Grub Properties? Absolutely. Um, you know, GrubProperties.com is our website. Uh, it has information there on our Opportunity Zone programs as well as our, our traditional fund programs, which, you know, as I said, you know, we, we have a single strategy. So, um, it's both, you know, good for people who have opportunity or capital gains who are looking to invest in opportunity zones, 
um, or make just traditional real estate uh, fund investments. Um, you know, th those uh, the the information on the website will will get you through. Likely to, as I mentioned, my colleague earlier, James Holloman, or or myself. Um, and you know, always happy to talk to investors or or people with deals. Um, and and honestly, I, I'm happy to talk to people uh, just about opportunities then, because uh, you know it's, it's really a passion of mine, and um, you know, really excited to have been here today and, and gotten the chance to you know talk with you and, and talk with your listeners about uh, you know sort of our perspective on opportunity zone program. Likewise, Clark, always enjoy speaking Opportunity Zones, of course. And for our listeners out there today, as always, I will have show notes on the Opportunity Zones database website for today's episode. You can head over to opportunitydb.com slash podcast to find the show notes. And there you'll find links to all of the resources that Clark and I discussed on today's episode. Clark, thanks for joining me. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit OpportunityDB.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone Fund investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting OpportunityDB.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.